Hello and welcome back everyone to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today we are digging into our mini-series that they may be one. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and thank you for tuning in to another episode. Today, we are back with our mini-series, That They May Be One, all about church unity. Today's topic is part two of three on visible or institutional and spiritual or invisible unity. Is the church supposed to be fully one or the other? Well, that is for our conversation today to discuss. We also provide a a brief recap as well into the podcast before. Um, That was a primer introduction on some of the reasons for division, why the church has been seen as divisive, as well as a brief rundown on John 17, a breakdown that they may be one on unity, um, some of the key scriptures that have been guiding into how we look at unity. Well, I'm joined today with Matt Crum again, coming in from Washington, D.C., and I'm excited for this podcast discussion on church unity, so stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is episode two, well, episode two of the miniseries, that is. Um, that they may be one. And I'm joined today with Matt Crum, who joined me for the initial episode. If you tuned in for the, uh, the initial episode, you heard us talking and walking through John 17. We'll recap a little bit today, but uh, we'll dig into some more exciting information as well. And so Matt, why don't you uh, say hello and, um, and share with the audience where we are going today. Yes. Hello, Tyler. Good to be with you again. I'm excited for today's topic and continuation. I'm, I'm feeling punchy. I'm feeling punchy in love. You know, where everything we're doing has to be in love. So I'm feeling punchy, but it's got to be in love. So you need to keep me okay. keep me honest on that, okay. Tyler. <laughs> okay, we'll do. We'll do. We'll see where it goes. Yeah, uh, but I'm feeling good. I'm ready. I'm, I'm excited to to get get into this. Yeah. And so last time we did a lot. We introduced the topic of unity. Church unity, more specifically, how we as the body of Christ are not very visibly unified right now, but more, most importantly, we walked through John 17, as you said, and kind of that basis of what does, did Jesus have to say about unity? What was his heart for unity? Uh, what was he praying to his Father about in regards to both the apostles that he was uh, raising up then and then the future church that he was preparing uh, pre- preparing ultimately during his during his last few hours on earth so such a rich topic i, I know we we spent we spent probably the minimum amount that you could you need for a for a full uh, download of, of that chapter but we did it and so in this episode we're gonna we're gonna shift over to debating the importance of visible unity versus invisible unity or, or mm-hmm. spiritual unity and that's mm-hmm. kind of the delineation, the the, di- the dichotomy that hmm. most people make. It's it's you have folks that are very much on the visible unity side and and believe that that is the true 
uh, outcropping of the faith and, um, you know, one, one faith, one church, one baptism. Mm -hmm. And then there are mm -hmm. folks and mostly in the Protestant world, but also in other denominations that are more along the mystical or visible un or invisible unity, I mm -hmm. should say, where many expressions, many, even even down to church structures and, and specific theologies, but but centered around the gospel and and making an, an invisible, unified across the globe and across time, really church. And so those are the two things that we're going to get into a little bit here. So again, yeah. so just before we do that, a little recap mm -hmm. of the last episode. So we we opened with we opened and closed with this question. Why do we have different kind of churches, both globally and in all of our neighborhoods? Mm -hmm. And what does the name above the door of your church in your neighborhood mean for the unity of the church? Mm -hmm. And how does it reflect the name above all names? And so we're going to get into this. Yeah. But uh, there is a perception that the world obviously has of a church, and, and our unity is a big part of that. Mm -hmm. And so what, what do we think about that now, our unity or disunity? As you would, you know, as you might interpret it, and what is its importance for the world? Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, as I mentioned, I think a lot of us, and so you and I, Tyler, are coming from the Protestants. Maybe you would call us evangelical world. We typically think along the lines of that spiritual or invisible or mystical unity, uh, and and because we we see the strength and diversity, strength and diversity of giftings and expressions and music and language and we think that's beautiful and so that's that kind of leads us into the reasons that we identified for division that we currently have in, in 2023 yeah what are the main reasons why the church is so divided and so mm -hmm. we talked about mm -hmm. uh, really five and i'll let you uh, comment on any of these if you want but sure there's the there's the historical and political ones right i mean these these are in most of the world history textbooks that you read, right? The glorious revolution in England, establishing a church of England as separate from Roman Catholicism. Pilgrims and Puritans coming to America and establishing their own denominations because they were simply a part of a new continent and needed to be a new church in that continent. Mm -hmm. So very obvious, you know, nations and states and political happenings that divided a, uh, a church. And then there's the classic one, theological or doctrinal. And so we, we can go all the way back to the Great Schism for the first thing that you would read in a historical theology textbook, right? It's uh, when the Eastern Church split off from the, um, well, the historic church or the, you know, at, th at that point, Western or Roman, um, and it became kind of the Catholic and then Eastern expression. And then, of course, the Protestant Reformation was the next big, Mm -hmm. uh, action in the whole theological doctrinal Luther, Zwingli, mm -hmm. uh, Calvin, etc. And so those are kind of the the again the historical theological stuff that we we all see the in, the in the textbooks. I think these days it's a little bit more around these next three. Uh, one is which, and this is probably the saddest really in our day, is the cultural or ethnic. Hmm. Um, on the one hand, it's, it makes sense because if you speak a certain language, you obviously want to worship with people in that language. You're, if you're used to a certain culture and you, and you can express worship in that culture, uh, make, it makes a lot of sense. And, and so I think that is less of the issue, but I think the ethnic part is, is something that is really sad. 
And, you know, you, you sometimes hear that Sundays can be the most segregated hour of the week in America. And, and you know, we, we're part of very diverse churches, and our churches mm-hmm. are certainly trying to reverse that trend. But, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of an outcropping of the cultural uh, division that happens uh, as far as uh, churches go and where you choose to worship. And then the last two things, we talked about size difference. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether you're a large or mega church with multiple campuses or whether you're more of a local, smaller, more family-oriented church or just community-oriented church, that can be a dividing line. And then uh, another thing that we kind of developed last podcast was that that function or gifting emphasis, right? I'm a missional church. I'm a community church. Yeah. We're a traditional church. Yeah. And a lot of there's a lot of division across those lines of what is our main point of emphasis? What's our mission, our specific, this specific mission in this specific church? And how are we trying to do that? So mm-hmm. that's a big overview. But what would you kind of add to that recap of, of last last podcast? Adam? I'd add homo oseus and homo eosius. And right. so, uh, you know, some of the, the, the challenges, I think, to put this in a grand, right, historical theology, historical ecclesiology perspective, right? Some of the things we, I think, maybe center or emphasize, right, or certainly, yeah, or some of the big ones, theological, doctrinal, cultural, ethnic, historical, political, and there's, um, certainly this goes back for, you know, there's been some sense of division, right? I think that's what you're trying to, what we're trying to get at for thousands of years, right? And so in some sense, the world as it is because of sin is marred by, marked by disunity, right? And so there will be at some level disunity on this side of glory, right? But the other thing that we're, I think we're arguing and saying is that, no, there is this sense of visible unity that can be demonstrated and maybe even before we get to kind of that right there is this taking a step back this spiritual versus spiritual unity versus visible visible unity and i'd say even visible unity is different than institutional unity maybe we can touch on that a little bit later later today too but yeah i mean i think right some of the debates that were that were happening in the fourth century with you know homo usius god of like substance god of the same substance homo eusius you know, Jesus and God of like substance. So just some of the debates that I think have happened, we don't even really think about for many of us now today, right? And we are kind of caught up in the the cultural moments that we're in now with just the different debates on theology, on doctrine, on some of these other components, politics, political allegiances as well. And um, I agree. I think the other ones that we mentioned, right? Size, not always emphasized as a divisive component, but I think it can be, right? When there's a sense that the church looks different in different places. That was one of the big challenges, even in the Reformation, or even, I'm sorry, before the Reformation, is the Catholic church, right, would go, which was kind of in some sense our church for a, for a long time, would go into different countries and it would, it, everything was in Latin. And so, it wasn't till later that it was translated and there's more of a contextual reflection of that language, right? Because Martin Luther translated uh, the Bible into German in, you know, in uh, the Reformation era, 1500s. And so, and for, for many people, right, there's one Bible for the congregation or even not even for a con- small congregation, but 
not not everyone had their own Bible, you know, and so there was um, yeah. So it's just very interesting of how the gospel, the church, has seen that unity, and this will kind of get in, I think, a little bit into our the Catholic Protestant sense of visible versus spiritual unity. I think as Protestants, as you mentioned, we emphasize the spiritual unity, and I think it's good because you know when when you're when you're walking around and you see this is especially pertinent when you're in a different country and you're like you see someone else and you learn and you like learn that they're you're Christian, right? It's you don't even need a you just have this sense of like wow, like we're on the same team here, you know? And um, before you know you're doing any actions or anything, but just this can, this spiritual connection, and I think there is something significant to that, right? Um, so I don't want to belittle that, but in the same token, this visible unity, the Catholics, I think, have have really focused on this. But I, in some sense, I think a lot of the the reformers focused on this too. And so, yeah, why don't we we can we can dig into um, to that. And but you want before we dig into that, maybe you can touch on the big. We talked ten big ideas, so we can touch on those and any other responses you have in general to to what I just mentioned. Yeah. So I, first of all, I can't believe you're not brushed up on your Latin. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Isn't everybody? Doesn't everybody know Latin? Like, what's what's the deal with that? <sighs> yes, but we are very grateful. It's making its comeback. It's making its comeback. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Wycliffe, Wycliffe, Luther, all those all those ancient translators yeah. who were like, "Hey, actually, Tyler and Matt should be able to read the Bible too. Let's do that." That's right. So That's right. We they were looking out for us. They were looking out for us. Yeah, we are very thankful for them. Yeah. Yeah, I, what I loved about what you said, uh, one of the many things I loved about what you said was the, there's actually a, a, a triumvirate of distinctions. There's invisible unity, visible unity, and institutional unity. Mm-hmm. And I think I think a lot of those more historic things are a lot about the, the institutional unity. Yeah. Whereas I think... You can you can separate size, function, and gifting, and cultural as a little bit more of that visible. What do we sure. physically see across Christians with our eyes and with what we hear from them, right? And so that <clears throat> that I think is a really interesting distinction that we'll get into a little bit later. But yes, so as final final uh, recap points, we'll just go through. We had a top ten list yeah. for John seventeen. We reduced it to six. Mm-hmm. And I'll run through these. Sorry if sorry if you don't totally follow, but we have a whole pa- podcast on this uh, in our last one, so we'll yeah, you can go back and listen to the whole thing. But mm-hmm. so in John seventeen, Jesus is praying for his people to the Father, uh, and this and he's he's making the distinction that this is his people and not for the whole world. This is a prayer for his people, both both his apostles there and now, mm-hmm. and the future church uh, that would come. And Jesus's perfect unity, what he bases his prayer for unity on, is the perfect unity between him, Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, the, the Trinity. And so, pretty lofty thing to be based on, but, but Jesus and the Father, they are in the business of lofty goals, right? Because That's they right. are the most lofty, um, just to say it, and very, very mean terms but um this is faith this is this is faith conversations for the common man so we're just um that's right we're making sure keeping it common here all right go ahead that's right and so that unity uh, that is based in the trinity is also supposed to be glory sharing 
So God is glorified by the obedience and work of Jesus, and Jesus is glorified by the fruitfulness and acceptance of the word of his followers, and that they believed on Jesus. And so there's this glory sharing from the Father to Son, and vice versa, and then through and then from Jesus to his people and vice, vice versa. And so mm-hmm. uh, the, the glory of God is shared through, throughout this whole, th- throughout that whole pattern and, and the way that uh, Jesus comes to redeem uh, people for the Father. And then this people is supposed to be in the world but not of the world. And so they have, this is supposed to be a unity enhancing thing. Mm-hmm. They, are remain, they remain in this world and they are, in a way, separated from it spiritually, which is supposed to bring them together in unity because they need a band together, essentially. And so it's much richer than that, but it's, it's supposed to be the, the, separ- the spiritual separation from the world is supposed to be a unity-enhancing thing. Mm-hmm. And then the missional purpose of unity is another thing that Jesus prays for, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Mm-hmm. I have sent them into the world. And so unity is also supposed to be a very, very missional thing where the world sees our unity and uh, sees the, the glory of the Son and the Father through that. And heading, going back to that earlier idea that I shared. Mm-hmm. So a very, very big missional component to unity. And then lastly, function on display. And so uh, the Father and Son in unity each have their role and function that they play. And so, therefore, we as image bearers are also supposed to display those functions. Mm-hmm. Um, and we mentioned First Corinthians, First Corinthians twelve, as an example of those functions, and and how uh, in unity the the diversity of those functions mm-hmm. are on display, mm-hmm. and and ultimately again point back to the glory mm-hmm. of Jesus and the Father. Mm-hmm. So yeah, top six this time. Yeah, no, good stuff. Not not much to add. We've rooted. Right, this from the outset, the unity in the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and we're looking at the glorification. Um, I, I really like that one, sharing in glory, and that we're the church is an outflow of glory, right? And so, our the way that we're unified brings glory to the Father, right? And that's that's the that's the great that's our I think a great endeavor of ours. It's what our our aim and objective is, right? It's to glorify God. And in unity, we are we are walking examples of that. And so, absolutely. Well, let's get into the, the visible and invisible unity. There's some different views. So we looked at a handful here. We have the Catholic view, which is also shared by Eastern Orthodox, though I guess similar view, but different statuses of where who has the who has the higher ground. Um, yes. There's an, a recent Anglican view. There's kind of a Reformed Gospel Coalition view, right? And then there's another one of those, another TCG Gospel Coalition view, more more Baptistic. The first one was more Presbyterian, and I think that's what we got cooking for today um, for some of these definitions, viewpoints, so to speak. So maybe we can lay lay these guys out, and then we can take it from there. Yeah. Well, again goal here is to, to get this information done quick so we won't go full full into sure. all these denominational views uh, yeah that would, that would that would that would take a long time 
Yeah, man, we really need to have these those two hour long podcasts, right? <laughs> I don't know how, how I don't know how our audience would be would be in it for two hours on church unity. Maybe maybe some, but this is definitely um, yeah. Well, I don't know. I'll I'll let them decide. Only those true dedicated ones. Only the only yeah. the, the few. Yeah. The remnant. The remnant. All right. The remnant. Uh, yeah. So, at the very basic sense, and this is this is pretty well known, the, the Catholics, uh, the Roman Catholics, that is, and Eastern Orthodox, and Eastern Orthodox takes many different forms. There's Russian Orthodox. There's Greek Orthodox. Mm-hmm. They they believe that they are the one true church, and mm-hmm. that any disunity institutionally from them is is abhorrent is is not aligned to the will of god and so they you know obviously in the roman catholic view they they <laughs> apostolic secession through peter and, and therefore mm-hmm. that's where you get the the pope and and so anybody who's not in communion with the pope is is therefore outside of, of the church and so it's it's very very straightforward this is the church that that christ established on the on the earth and you're you're either a part of it or you're not. Now now they have this special category called ecclesial communities for for us Protest, Protestants uh, and and other Christian denominations who they believe uh, contain the gospel. But again, it's they they emphasize the institutional nature of this visible church, and so that's that's the basic view there. Anglicanism is interesting to me because. Throughout Anglicanism's history, they've been trying to swim the middle ground, really, between uh, Protestantism, Evangelicalism, and Roman Catholicism, essentially. But uh, an interesting article I read recently, I think, put it very well as far as uh, the Anglican view. It's essentially they, they, they believe with Protestants that it is an invisible unity, it is a mystical unity. Uh, and, and, you know, nothing nothing can keep you from Christ and the gospel. Nothing institutionally can, at the end of it, keep you from Christ. But we are perfected in the visible uh, expression of the church. And so, in, in one quote, is, While the visible unity of the church is not the grounds for one's inclusion in the mystical body, the visible expression of this unity is nevertheless necessary for the edification and perfection of the individual believer. So oftentimes you'll, in, in Anglican churches, you'll see a pretty heavy emphasis on membership and being confirmed in the Anglican church because they do still hold to a very strong tradition of visibly visible membership to the institutional church of, 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 of the, well, in, in some cases it's Church of England and in North America it's typically um, the, just the Anglican version of, mm-hmm. of things in North America. Uh, but that's that's kind of their middle view. And so it can seem a little squishy, but I think I think it personally does a good job of, of retaining the, invi- the all the best of the invisible and, and, and some of the good things about institutional or visible mm-hmm. unity. And then um, going down to more traditional forms of you know evangelical Protestant views, a lot of so we we've got a Presbyterian view, we've got a Reformed Baptist view. Um, these aren't certainly aren't the only views. There's there's probably as many views as church on church unity as there are Protestant denominations. We certainly don't have time on that. But hmm. um, a unity in in diversity approach is a big emphasis here. 
Um, so this, and this, here's a quote. So the church is to be one and many at the same time, united by the gospel and living out this gospel across many cultures, many languages, many kinds of music, and many differently gifted individuals. So you can see kind of the, you're definitely firmly planted in the invisible unity. You, you are, uh, and not only that, the church across the ages and across the globe is bound together by the same gospel as interpreted and proclaimed by the apostles. And so there's this unification across the globe and across all those many different diverse expressions. And there's also a, a uni unification across time, you know, the, the whole the w whole cloud of witnesses, the saints across time. Mm -hmm. And then, and then a, a, one other definition that kind of represents the Reformed, a Reformed Baptist view, at least, is the universal church is a heavenly and eschatological assembly of everyone, past, present, and future. Mm -hmm who belongs to Christ's new kingdom and covenant. Hmm. And so it's very much, it's very much a spiritual emphasis in, within Protestantism. It's, it's, you know, aligned to the gospel throughout the ages. And so that's, that's really more of the emphasis, I would say on the, on the Protestant side, as hmm. far as invisible, visible, and institutional, very, the institutional part is much, much more repressed when it comes to Protestantism. Mm -hmm. What say mm -hmm. you, Tyler? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, how that plays out, right, is one of the things you mentioned within Catholicism, right, is papal authority, right? Mm -hmm. But also, yeah, the sacraments, big differentiation, yes. different differentiation point between um, Catholics and Protestants. And so, uh, uh, yeah, and so there's, and oftentimes it's challenging to be in fellowship, with folks who are, you know, with immersed within the, the Catholic or Eastern Orthodox faith because of this sense that the institutional unity is, um, is strongly promoted and emphasized. And, um, yeah. And it, again, the, the mystical unity is, is there too, but it can be challenging to see visible unity across the church according to the kind of as uh, looking at the definition and you're like, well, that makes sense. Right. Because there's not the inclusion or even the dialogue as much with Protestants. And I think what bodes well, and I think why this is such a concern for Protestants is because the spiritual unity is a, is a strong component and there's more, there's more wiggle room on the visible and the institutional, right? And so we're more likely to, to discuss this. So I'd be curious of how many Catholics are discussing church unity. Um, I don't know, because there, there, there is the sense that the church is already unified, I would think, because it's it's been established and it's unified here. And so it's almost like, yeah, I don't know. We don't have to get into that. But I um, I like the the... The unity in diversity. And one of the things you're talking about is across different language, cultures, contexts. And I think that's this important component, right? Is that the music might sound different in a different part of the world, um, even different a part of, part of the city than another part of, uh, yeah, another part of the same city. And I think there's a room for that. And so I think that because it helps display the uniqueness and as image bearers and that we are complex. And so, right, how do you allow for the autonomy of the expression, the, the expression of the gospel, al allowing for that creativity, allowing for that un uniqueness and even that distinction, right? 
but still being like, wow, we know that it's we're kind of cut from the same cloth, so to speak, right? And that there is this this larger thing that we're part of in a capital C church. So I, I really that I resonate well with the unity in diversity component. And then one more comment, I think, on the Reformed Baptist view, or at least this this one here, view two from the from the TGC, is it puts it in an eschatological perspective. And I think it that is a connection. And I like that because it connects both the spiritual and the visible with an emphasis on the spiritual. And it, look, it's like what you desire, what you want to see in heaven and what God promises in heaven is something, right? Matthew 6, can there's a foretaste here, right? That's the prayer, is the, is the Lord's prayer, is for the kingdom to come here as it is in heaven. And so there is this connection, and I would be remiss not to mention that that's significant, right? In how we, any conception we have of church unity must think of the new heavens, new earth, our destination, heavenly assembly. Um, and that certainly must impact the visible or the, um, yeah, the institutional understanding. So those are a couple of reactions and responses to, I think, these different views. Mm-hmm. So what about your views on the visible and visible? What about Tyler's view? So I, I, um, I think the, the spiritual is, I, again, like any, like, I don't know. I think that there is a spiritual unity for sure, that needs to be focused. But I'm also like, I mean, when we look through the New Testament, we see many of the epistles are correcting churches or are saying, here is what things should look like, right? And some of them are context, and you have to take in consideration, there is context-specific components that are for particular churches that different churches are struggling with, right? or different areas that they're struggling with. And then Paul mostly is writing to say, no, like church of Corinth, this is, this is your challenge. Or these are things you're doing great. So continue in these things. Right. But I think that Paul now kind of transitioning, right. We know that this, I think we, I would say we, I, I would think that Jesus believes the visible unity is important. I would think so. Um, because of some of the reasons we said it's the glory is magnified we're we're a witness to on mission to those around us um and so the 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 call to find not necessarily i guess always to correct but to encourage and to promote goes across i think uh the visible there's a visible sense of this happening and so i think that there certainly is a significance in the new testament of a visible church focus of saying no, you, you all need to act in this behavior or this manner because it's it honors God, right? Or so to speak. Um, and so I think it's certainly important, right? So I, I'd find myself maybe a little more emphasizing on the visible, maybe even a little more of that Anglican, just to, to kind of di- dichotomy, like kind of swinging in that pendulum rather than this, this super, you know, spiritual sense. But I'm also, you know, I, I think... It might not look, it, it looks different, right? And, and I think I'm, I'm open to the sense that of this diversity in unity perspective and that, yes, we must consider it, but we must also be aware that this church, this, this ministry is going to look different in the time period that you're in 
in the ge geographic location that you're in um, across the country and across the world. So yeah, so those are, I think, some of my views. I think that the, ch the, the component uh, on on the views where I think I'm, what, what I always think of is like, okay, well, like, what is the function? Like, what is the practice? How do you actually be unified? Um, and then we talk about, I mean, right, the Gospel Coalition was one that we've referenced because they, they've proposed a view, is an example of church unity in some sense of there's different denominations, different ethnicities, different political leanings, different um, church sizes, I'm sure, different countries, all these different things, right, that are represented. A couple of the key kind of maybe markers or ind indicators we've seen of visible unity. So that's what I'm really interested in is, okay, this is this sounds really good and it looks good, but how do we kind of put it into practice? I do have some notes kind of of what kind of bringing it back to scripture of what that visible unity looks like. Um, but before I do that, is there anything, any, let's, let's hear Matt's views as well. You've kind of given us these views. So I'll, I'll flip the question back on you. Yeah, really quick. I think we're, we're, we're probably well past this time, but we're clearly at a time where we're at our end, I think, to the amount of different ways the church can go. I think the, just exponential splitting of churches and ministries has reached its natural end and it's actually eroded i think the accountability of christ church and i think hmm. i think a lot of what you see on the news as far as pastors failing and churches being found out for 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 acting in a completely unloving and un frankly unchristlike way, I think is a symptom of that. I think it's it's the fact that we've got this unlimited splitting. Sure. So that, that anybody who feels any particular way about how to structure a, a church or a ministry can do whatever they want. I think first of all, I think we hit probably hit this point well before this, but I think we're we're now starting to really see the bad effects of it. That is not to say that every you know every single different expression of the church isn't doing something great. I that's one of the things that I absolutely love about living in America. Believe it or not, if you go to any any place in America, any state any hmm. metropolitan many metropolitan area you'll find an, an excellent faithful church anywhere you go with excellent faithful leaders and so that's hmm. it's not to say that these these symptoms are so bad that that christ church is failing at every point absolutely not but i think they point to kind of the end of again this super splitting this this whatever i feel like starting I can do, and I think that's that's fed by an entrepreneurial spirit mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. here, especially here in North America, which is which is well, it was wonderful. If you have a great idea of how to use God's gifting, awesome, go do it. But I think when it comes to the actual church, the actual, and this this is where it gets fuzzy of whether I'm talking about the institution or just the the visible expression of the church. I I think we could benefit from more thinking on how to be more visibly unified and maybe that doesn't have to start institutionally i think that can start i think a lot of that can start in parachurch organizations i think we're going to talk about that in the next podcast but 
I, I think that focus on how we can mm-hmm. display a more visible unity is is well overdue. Yeah. So you're saying that you think that the institutional the I don't put it, I don't want to put words in your mouth the institutional unity has been of focus, but perhaps what we might consider a bit more of is this visible unity. Or no. So the visible unity is something that we we should be considering more more of because we know that the institution institutional unity continues to fracture and break. And I don't know. I mean, again, there's there's so many different denominations. There's so many different church affiliations. One thing I did want to note, right, is there's a lot of churches seem to be aligning in partnerships. And so yes. they're not as tied, so to speak, to the dom- denomination. Um, they're they're aligning themselves more either. Yeah, more to partnerships or key partnerships that they have or even more so just to kind of key beliefs. And it's like because with so many of these institutional organizations, there comes some sort of you have to like there's just so much baggage, right? For good, like good baggage or bad baggage. But like there's so much that comes with it. And for people who are coming into the church, going back to mission, going back to witness, this is like it's sometimes sometimes sense like it, it sometimes it feels like it's not even worth trying to explain these things because it would only give further confusion. And, and you're right, it's this sense of disunity within a place where if you're, if you're seeking community, you're seeking spiritual growth, you want to feel like this is a foundational place. And we know that churches are broken and everything, but like th- you want this to be more of a sanctuary, you know, and not a feel like a, a, a broken down place. So I don't know if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and actually, I think the differences especially in protestantism are being diminished almost every year right you go to in my in my town of arlington virginia i could probably go to a presbyterian a non-denominational a baptist and you know fill in another denomination and only notice minute differences across all of them because the, I, I hear i hear the same gospel being preached i see Similar songs being sung, I see, I, I see, and, and probably most importantly, uh, similar ways to serve uh, neighbors and the community and the and um, the least among us. Hmm. So th- I, in that way, and, and you mentioned that partnerships and parachurch organizations were also seeing a big uptick in, in those kind of things. So in one sense, in, in our little bubbles, right, it's you can actually also make a case that's encouraging. Uh, equally as as you can make the case that it's discouraging, right? I think it becomes discouraging when you look a little bit broader, but when you look, I think within a within a you know specific community, I think it might be might even be encouraging. So mm-hmm. it, it, I think visible I think visible unity is happening in way in more ways than we think. But again, I still think that, and so maybe I am point maybe I am pointing in a in a sneaky way of. Hmm. Of at institutional unity, and just wondering how much clearer we could be if we at least began to talk about it, right? Hmm. Uh, if if pastors just got together and just began to talk about it. Hmm. So this kind of brings up a thought, and you're right because in some sense you can walk from one church to another church just kind of talking about institutional unity right you can walk from one church to another church it could be completely different they could look very different 
visibly, right? Denominational structure, cultural orientation, even kind of a geographic, political, all these different things, but can still feel like you're at home. And I, I, we've experienced, I've experienced this, right? Then sometimes even churches within, you know, who kind of submit to the same institutional unity in your local church. So for example, like if you're a Presbyterian church, right, there might be Pentecostal churches that look more like your Presbyterian church than mm-hmm. you do with other Presbyterian churches within your conference, right? Right. Um, same goes for, like you know, mo- I think a lot of different affiliations. And so I think what what is what is that, right? Or what is the reason? I think one of the things that uh, in some sense, like I think the there is at least in I think in North America like this this refining and so the churches that are spirit led that are gospel centered are the ones that are thriving and yes. like they it looks you can sense God's presence and provision and hand over them whereas the honestly the ones that are submitting to false doctrine that are stale or rigid or law focused or too graceful like you know these are the ones that are dying, so to speak. And there's this refining and you're, you know, you're starting to see kind of where the foundation is. Um, and you're like, wow, we, we are unified. And it was just like, it was kind of bad, bad fruit, so to speak. And it's, um, it's just kind of, that's kind of staggering to hear, but, um, to, I think it's an encouragement, encouragement that like this, this visible unity is coming. I think when we stay to God's word, stay to the spirit and truth, focus and so i have some scriptures i can bring up but anything you want to mention nope i think you're spot on i think that i think that's a very good analysis of what's going on right now because so i i think well thank you i'm no i'm no historian nor am i no theologian but i am i like to dabble so the um i think there's a couple of key moments perhaps that we can see in scripture right one of the focus thing kind of components is that god's glory is displayed and when god's glory is displayed there's there's a there's this deep sense of witness right and so there's these moments i think throughout scripture that god reveals himself his glory visibly right and there are these critical moments that i think give us an insight i think for a to point us that the visible sense of god of god acting in the earth right is important because God acted in history visibly. And I think foundationally, it's, it's, there's a few, right? There's creation. God is the creator, visibly glory of all, you know, creation, heavens and earth. And we have Mo, in Moses, um, Exodus 33 of really God's power through fire and light. And so God's glory revealed in, in kind of through these elements. We go to Jesus' incarnation, and that's I think is central, right? If we're Christ-centered, if we look to the to Jesus Christ as the ultimate um, perfection of unity, it's Christ dwelling physically embodied with us. So, what does that tell us? That it's not He's not simply some spiritual entity that is up above, right? But He is directly engaging with the affairs of man here. And I think that's significant as we think of whenever we think about anything, any topic, we filter it through the lens of Jesus Christ, right? It was Christocentric. It would be kind of an academic term. 
And so I think that's significant. Obviously, the transfiguration, another big one, God's glory revealed to the disciples. And it's like magnificent. It's it's like almost like it's awe or reverence when God's glory is seen. Ascension as well. Jesus' ascension. And so after actually the resurrection, life, the death, resurrection, and ascension, I'd say. And then we have the church, obviously, and kind of ending there in Ephesians 1. Christ as the head, church as the bridegroom. Where the church is established, I mean, as churches, I think, established in Acts. And then we see it, see the role of the church even more so through Ephesians here, as Christ as the head, church as the bridegroom. And so we see the role of God's glory through these different instruments and these different moments of history. And um, yeah, I think it's an, it's important. And that's that goes to, I don't know, there's a lot we could get into there, but I think seeing the big, big story of God working and the plan and the purpose does lend itself into this preparation too for the new heavens, new earth. Um, and so, and that's, that's the church. That's where we are right now, right? We're in the, the, the act of the church, so to speak, as we're preparing and awaiting future glory. And so um, we are part of this glory right now, God's glory overflowing. Um, and that is, that's very visible. And I think there's these moments when you really see that, right? Like in all of these moments that I mentioned, like it's, it, it's this, sense that you see but it's also this felt it's like this really felt presence of like wow the 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 brilliance and the light and the glory really of god is so powerful and impactful that it's attested to it's attested to you say wow this is powerful right and i think that's that can be the church is all all i'm trying to say yeah Yeah, absolutely i think you're i think the, the overall point of of God being visible in his creative world is fantastic. I would add to it, think about how visible the Israelites were, right? To to Pharaoh, to their surrounding nations, to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the to even through exile. They were a highly visible and distinct people in the world that they lived in. And so you know, you, we, you, you mentioned, you basically mentioned that everything pre-church that was visible about God's people and how, how Jesus became so visibly obvious with his life, his teachings, his mission, his transfiguration, you know, mm-hmm. everything that he does was so obviously, that he did was so obviously visible to the world around him. Hmm. So now here we are. We're the church. Right, right. We... Just like we talked about, we are we are uh, in the world, but not of the world. We are hmm. ob- we are an obvious people in this world. We are vi- and we are visible. We make ourselves visible by our uh, by believing in the word you, you mentioned, and so you you have also in your notes that um, you, well, you mentioned that the, the spiritually awakened basically. Churches are thriving, and I think also the churches that are thriving that are true to His Word, right? Mm. You, um, I mentioned, I mentioned the North American Anglicans, right? Anglicans, right? There's, there's actually a, a splitting going on between the Church of England, which is falling away from the Word of God, hmm. but the, uh, but, but a collection of North American Anglican churches are keeping that, and so that they are actually growing as well. There's one right down the road that is one of the biggest in the in the nation and they are doing so much over there and growing. And so yeah. that 
yeah, that that makes us distinct, and we will always be visible, and 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 Christ will always um, support His church. So the, the the thing I will say then in closing will be, I think the if you think about the most appealing aspects of the church unity of a of a Roman Catholicism, right? It's it's the community aspect. It's the aspect that you know the the ideal version of the Catholic Church is that you're in a town. You all go to work together. You're all part of the church together. You all know what each other, each other believe, and you're all part of that together. And it's all it's all one big community. And so the Catholic Church, obviously, you know, as we as as Protestants believe that they out, outstripped their authority and uh, needed to be needed to reform themselves. I think we as pro, as as disparate Protestant churches can lose that. Oh, if we don't like our church, we can go to another one. And so mm, yeah. I think, again, I'll go back to my, my point in closing. I think serious conversation about what an institutional community that is that is spiritually awake, true to God's word, could look like. Uh, and again, this is kind of previewing mm-hmm. our, our mm-hmm. next podcast, mm-hmm. is, I think, important to maintain the, the unity that Christ wanted um, going forward. And, and again, this is not saying that, that the good churches that are out there aren't thriving because they absolutely mm-hmm, are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm one, I still wonder what our overall mission to the uh, overall mission to the world is and how it looks to the world when it comes to unity. So that's, that's my, my closing comment. Hmm. Well, let me ask you a clarifying question. So, what we made this distinction between institutional and visible. That's right. Um, institution. When I think of, I don't even know if we fully define that, but institutional unity is really kind of, I don't know, this same doctrine, same set of sacraments, or same set of or like same ordinances, and it looks very uniform. That's when I think of institutional, like the local church mm-hmm. unity. Um, institutional unity is that it's basically like everything is basically done in the same same level and I think what I'm saying is that institutional unity perhaps isn't the focus like that shouldn't be our primary concern but visible unity should be more of a concern than institutional unity the reason is because in my belief institutional unity will take it it'll look different um, across different um, culture, across different city, across different location because of context. Um, and I think doctrinally, I think that's something we could we don't need to get into, but I think we could come to a sense of there is probably one true sense of, of, of good doctrine, right? But even within doctrine, we know that faith is, is lived out or it's embodied or it's functional. And so even though you hold or ascribe to particular doctrine and assent to beliefs, the way you emphasize or accent or lean in particular parts of your core doctrine, even though you hold to the same statements, it looks very different, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And that and that's, that's what we were sharing earlier. Even within some churches that hold to the same doctrine and institutional unity, they can look very different from each other. And so I think our focus, at least my focus, is less on the institutional and more on the sense of visible unity because the visible unity really is, I think, what 
is I'm concerned, and I think is an is is a significance in this in John 17 of the mission and witness of the church, right? Um, mm-hmm. The other things can be worked out and ironed out, um, but I think for the the focus of this podcast in particular, concerned with the visible unity. Yes, thank you for bringing that back. That distinction, I think, to illustrate. So, first point, I wholeheartedly agree. We should always, always, always be focused on how we can be more visibly unified. And I define that as what as sometimes it's called least common denominatorism. I don't particularly hmm. like that. I'll have to think of a better term. But hmm. it, you, as a as as a church member in Arlington, Virginia, I'll just continue to use my town example. What are what should you absolutely be partnering with other churches to be doing? Serving your neighbor and the poor, hmm. praying together for the community, for for the for you know things things going on in the world, yeah. and and sharing the gospel, right? Yeah. The yeah. the foundational gospel that you all share, and I'm sure you, you might yeah. you, there, there might be those are the three to come to mind right now. But yes, if if every single gospel-believing church in Arlington were, were doing that together, that would be such an amazing visible unity because it wouldn't matter what the name above the door of any particular church hmm. would be. They'd be, oh, yeah, those are the Christians doing that. Yeah. However, and so that's, yes, as, as, as regard to that visible side of, of, the, of the unity, yes, absolutely, we need to be doing that 100%. And then again, I think we're getting a little bit into our next podcast. But, but the only caveat I'll add on this on, on that, there's still that uneasiness. There's still that weird feeling that you get, and where you know if you're if you're serving and praying and sharing in that way with those believers, you have to ask the next question: Why do we go to different churches? Why do we have different churches? Hmm. Why are we? Why is why is that? Why is the structure, the institutional structure, a dividing point here? Like, why? What's, yeah. what is the point? Is is basically, yeah. It's it's that, it's that lingering thought that you have. So, sure. That's where I'll, that's where I'll leave it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that that's really interesting. And uh, look, if you're if you're like most people in our generation, we'll just just talk about all the problems, and then we'll just say you figure it out. Right. That's right. Go figure it out, guys. <laughs> but we're not going to do that. At least we're not. We're we're going to not not hope to do that. We're going to at least try and be hopeful because the gospel is hopeful, and we're going to provide some um, look at maybe some examples of where places. And I think you've already kind of touched on a few of these, right? Of how we can be a visible presence in our community in the world um, that reflects the mission, witness, glory, um, purpose, function as image bearers i was trying to squeeze in all six points there into that one sentence and i think we uh (laughs) we we managed i don't know if i managed to do it but all that to say yeah i think um the the focus of why we're you know the, the question that you ended with i think is is a real one and i think for a lot of us right the challenges have been recently i'll say have been along the lines I think more so, I'd say in the last 10 years, some of the key topics that have been controversial, which have caused people to be part of different churches, right? Or I think, I mean, a lot of the ones that we mentioned. And so I, I think the more prevalent ones, though, are around um, ethnicity or race. And so a preference to be with 
a particular group who looks similar to you, right? Um, I think one is around beliefs on social justice, beliefs on how we're supposed to engage in this in the world, right? If we are supposed to be in engage in the world, and so that those are dividing on how churches view that those components. I think gender and sexuality are a big one. Roles and we see uh, different, whether it's complementarian or egalitarian, or just I mean just the the spectrum of different mm-hmm. options here, which are which are very distinguishing. But also, I mean, and then you kind of get to like how to relate with those who are, um, as gender identity is becoming more of a, um, uh, an issue and is becoming more relevant today, how churches deal with that and respond to that is becoming a dividing factor, right? Um, and then the sizes too, I think is another big one. And I'm coming back to that again, because like you have certain churches who will uh, focus on the small missional smaller local congregations some are looking to get big and get big pretty quick right um and see different and you know can look at different scriptures and see examples of different scriptures that help support right all these different views and so how do we parse that out and um i don't know maybe that's part of our conversation for next time a little cliffhanger there there you go all right was i I punchy enough for you today tyler it's good. It's good. Was I punchy in love? <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. It's good. It's good. It's, um, these are things that, that are, are really important. And we hope that not, it's not just our passion about these, but that we're connecting it to its significance eternally. And the, the gracious weight, right, that we are, that we have in this. And, um, I think it's a beautiful thing that we get to be ambassadors of the most high God in our unity. And it's, um, it's a really cool thing to see. So all that to say until, until next time, um, unless you got anything else to add. That is it, Tyler. Awesome. Looking forward to next time. All right. Until next time. Thank you all for tuning in today to episode two of the mini series that they may be one the guys like us podcast. This is Tyler Brondike and with me is Matt Crum. So until next time, thank you all for joining.